What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The only thing better than watching TV is taking it personally. Gee, you guys, it's taking it personally. And just like that, I'm joined by recent Andy's Girls guest co-host, Louis Staples. He has a couple things to say about a show we're just about to deep dive, but you also know him as a writer and housewives anthropologist whose credits include Vogue, GQ, Rolling Stone, and more. He also has been a spiritual writer girl talking about and just like that. So who better to deep dive than Monsieur Staples? Louis, how are we doing? Fabulous. I'm excited about the repurpose of the word recently. Like we're really taking that to new levels. Like (laughs) we're recording recording Annie's Girls like 10 minutes ago. So yeah, recent is, is really the word of the moment. Truly. And I was just saying I am having a little bit of a Carrie Bradshaw computer purse moment because our tech for today's recording has really been a little bit of a grab bag of delight. So fingers crossed the AGs and tippers, which is a um, a, a grouping an identity that truly I'm the only one participating in, um, are able to listen to this episode because I know it's going to be a goodie. Now, listen, you've written about and just like that. The new episode went up. A lot of thoughts, a lot of thinking. I would like to start by sort of understanding your connection to Sex in the City and how that may have affected your perspective of the spinoff. So interestingly, I actually, the first time I ever watched any Sex in the City was the first film, which, <gasps> I went, which I went to see when I was a teenager with my mom. Oh and my God. I, I know, it's sacrilegious. So I, well, I was never allowed to, so context, I'm, I'm 30 years old and I was never allowed to watch it when I was younger because it was too, you know, grown up. So I think when I got to the age where it was like, appropriate to watch that type of thing my mom was like I really want to go and see the film so we went to see the film like a good gay son I went with her Uh, (laughs) um then obviously I was completely obsessed with the movie and then went and watched you know all of it and I think my mom actually had quite a lot of them on dvd that was the era so I think I watched a lot of them on like the box sets on on dvd after that and I've basically it's just I'd say it's like definitely up there sex and the original sex and city is i call it i mean i've said this in articles that i've written about and just like that and sex and city in the past but it's i'd say it's like a foundational text for me you know it's like one of those things that i just always refer back to i always rewatch it i'd say i do a sex and city rewatch probably like every year um or like you know rewatch a portion of it because it's an interesting one i feel like it's the sort of show that you don't necessarily need to watch from start to finish when you do a rewatch or certainly that's not how I always rewatch it but yeah it's definitely the sort of thing and the film is still one of my you know up there with Titanic is my hangover um or just feeling sad slash feeling cozy slash just feeling something (laughs) uh spots so yeah it's definitely I'd say the the franchise as a whole represents this kind of like place of comfort for me in a weird way I just feel Mm -hmm. like there's such familiarity in it and 
I just think that there's something so comforting about that, which is, I think, why, which we can talk about, I think there's this kind of trauma with Just Like That, that a lot, that a lot <laughs> like, it's, I find it a little bit of a traumatic experience to watch in the sense that it's like, it reminds us of what the show was back in the day and how much has changed. And some of the things have changed in good ways and some of them have changed in ways that I think are personally less good. But there's this kind of like, I feel like it can't be an accident. This year, I rewatched Sex and the City just before and just like that came out. And yeah. I, didn't consci- I didn't consciously do it, but I also I realized I also did the same last time. before the- So it feels like some sort of innate trauma response <laughs> like watching the whole show and then watching and just like that so there's a real like from one to the other I don't watch the second movie when I do the rewatch I do sometimes do the first movie but I try and watch the second film for as little as possible um but yeah it's just definitely just this place of like comfort and now kind of slash slight trauma when it comes to your connection to Sex and the City, the identifier of what does Sex and the City mean to you is interesting um, because a friend uh, of mine and AG guest co-host Tom Smythe wrote for New York Magazine about the idea that when it comes to comparing and just like that to Sex and the City, one should really skip over the series and think more about the movie because it feels like the universe that and just like that lives in is not the original TV show, which to me helps relieve some of my anxiety and frustration with and just like that, because it could never be the show. And also the writers and whomever creatively are giving me more movie than they are original HBO. And I mean that in the most unfortunate of ways. Well, I, I call it, I have called it before in articles I've written, the wrong commification of the franchise, which mm. happened, which happened with the first movie, and also I wrote a piece I think last year during the first season of and just like that about you know why they made Carrie so rich and why they made them all so rich in the first movie because really they were wealthy and you know the whole there's been so many articles written about how Carrie could afford that apartment and all those shoes and all that stuff and you know she was going out with Alexander Petrovsky who was very wealthy as well and like there was money. Um, but they weren't like money, like money's no object rich. And it was a really interesting choice, you know, if you think politically to what was happening at that time with the financial crash. And actually a lot of television shows and movies became extremely focused on wealth and opulence around that time. Um, you know, reality TV also, um, which I know the, the listeners are fans of, um, things like The Real Housewives <laughs> of New York um, and stuff like the, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills became a lot more focused on wealth also. So it definitely, and it's interesting because once you make someone that rich, unless you do like some big fall from grace storyline where it's like Carrie suddenly like, I don't know, big invested her money somewhere and it all like, she lost all her money, which personally would be an amazing thing to just see how that would work. But um, <laughs> like, once you make someone that rich, you can't really like take it back. So it's kind of like they're in a new world. I totally agree with you about it being, or Tom, about it being the same, same sort of universe as the movies. Um, I think one thing that is just such a basic thing about Unjust Like That is that it's double the length of episode pretty much. So 
Sex in the City was like, you know, half an hour episode, whereas it just like that, including breaks, it's like longer, although no one's watching it with breaks, but um, it's longer. So that is just a totally different pace. Whereas we kind of had this thing where the, the four narratives of the women would just neatly converge every half hour with Sex and the City. And not only is the episode longer, but the, also the world with the characters is so much bigger. Do you think that was a mistake to expand episodes to more of an hour length? Because I think basically, I may be writing an article about this if an editor wants me to, but it's on my spreadsheet. So it's something I came here to discuss. <laughs> um, is I think that reboots and revivals and stuff like that suffer when they change the format too much. So um, we've seen this with um, Gossip Girl 2.0, the episodes were a lot longer. Gilmore Girls, the revival, with like these huge long episodes when, you know, Gilmore Girls was so snappy and short, you know, you could watch like three episodes and like be like, oh God, I got to get back to work. I was on my lunch break. But like, it was so quick. And the dialogue was also so quick because it had to be. Um, so it had this kind of um, almost like staccato energy about it, um, like it was, and like it was moving. And I think Sex and City had that same kind of like back and forth. Um, so I think reboots, if you're going to do one, I would say keep it as close in format to what the original one was, because once you change that, you're really changing the whole speed of the show, the speed of the storylines. I do think it's quite interesting though, like. And just like that, the payoff is so much longer that you have to wait. Like in this in this case, you know, I find myself kind of like hate watching this season up until really I'd say episode six was like a glimmer of hope. Then episode seven, I was like, okay, this is actually a genuinely really good episode. And then last week's episode also I really enjoyed. So it really took weeks of watching longer episodes to get a sort of payoff that I probably would have got in maybe not every episode of Sex and Seek, not everyone's amazing, but like every two episodes or something, it was just so much quicker. Like I remember watching the original series last month and Charlotte got engaged in one episode and then her wedding was the next episode. So it was just like so much bigger jumps between between things. Um, and they, they do quite a big jumps in time in Just Like That. Like there was a Halloween episode and then there was Valentine's Day. So that's like you know, three months went by very quickly. Um, so they do have the chance to do it, but it doesn't really feel that way. It feels slower still, which is interesting. Um, I don't know. I sort of think that now I have a rough thesis that perhaps it's because whenever we get to the start of a new season, we're still so kind of like shocked by these new characters and things even though we've met them before, it takes us a few episodes or it also takes them a few episodes to fully like make that feel like it meshes again. So like by the time we're getting to episode five, episode six, it's like we're fully kind of in that world with all these new people and new characters and it feels like it's gelling. I'm wondering whether there's something in that. Yeah, and also, you know, sort of a concern or frustration that it feels like we don't recognize these people anymore. And in the newest episode, there was obviously some movement forward certainly with Miranda in the sense of like oh okay so Miranda is being told that another Miranda used to exist it will be interesting to see whether or not she will have that same kind of sense memory that we have about her character yeah and I do think that I said this in a piece that I wrote for Vogue recently oh no sorry it was Harper's Bazaar god what a faux pas. Um, there was a, I mean. 
there was another piece. But, but um, it was Harper's Bazaar, and it was about yeah. kind of like the cynicism of Sex and the City, the original show. And actually, I do think there's this kind of like false memory that a lot of fans have that the show was just like the woman being fabulous and having an amazing time and like sipping cosmopolitans and like wearing amazing shoes. And of course, there was some of that, but really, there was like some quite there was a lot of darkness in the original show and it was a, there was a lot of loneliness and there were these there was these women who were sort of had been almost like shunned by society for being single and childless bonded together by that and then being a lot of the time very cynical about men about sex about power about money like about lots of things and i think that and just like that until recently has kind of not had so much of that cynicism it's been and Really, I said this in the piece, but the original four were a very carefully balanced balance of romanticism and cynicism. So you had like Charlotte, who was obviously the most romantic, Carrie behind her, who was a romantic at heart, you know, wanted to run off to Paris with Alexander Petrovsky, but also did have her like more realistic moments too. You know, charged a woman from Manolo Blahnik's shoes because she wanted to, she'd spent so much money on her children's gifts or whatever over the years, which is like, kind of iconic but and then we had samantha and miranda who were like the other end of the scale but now what's happened is having lost samantha as really like a character especially this season she's like not even texting she's like you know <laughs> out of office um until you know the finale which we're looking forward to but we're missing her running commentary and then miranda as you said her character has changed so much that it sort of feels like that and we don't really trust any of the new characters or know them enough for them to be that kind of strong, cynical voice in the group. So it's left this kind of void where it feels like people aren't really saying anything or are sort of creaking around each other a little bit. Um, and I think gradually as we get to know these new characters more as we're doing now, that will probably start to change. But I think that last week's episode was so fascinating seeing Aiden back in the mix what did you think of that I really wasn't sure how that was gonna work um you know I found myself slightly shocked that Aiden wasn't going to just kind of like pop in and pop out I didn't expect that they would dive into this relationship certainly not as quick quickly and forcefully as they have and there were elements of Aiden. I mean, I know his jacket has been derided by just about everyone, including myself, but it felt like I was trying to figure out who this person was and who the show wanted, uh, how the show wanted us to feel about him. And I didn't necessarily, and I still am kind of struggling with how are we being led to feel like, what does the show feel about Aiden? We don't, really know that all we know is that Carrie has feelings for him that have come on so strongly that she's now wondering if the entirety of her relationship with Big was a loss and that is I mean understandably interesting but also this like playing house vibe that they're doing makes me feel like it's going to leave as quickly as it's come. I mean, like, I'm not anti-Aiden. I know a lot of people are. I understand it. I'm not anti-Aiden while noting that, like, for example, his upset about having to, like, have sex with Carrie in their 
apartment, the place that, you know, the location for where their relationship ultimately broke down was surprising to me. I was like, okay, I understand there can be triggers and other things, but like, how long ago did you guys break up? And how are we able to move into a relationship with this woman when we're not able to enter her apartment without experiencing upset? Like, that was confusing to me, but I mean, the whole thing is just kind of like I have to reacclimate at the beginning and end of each episode. But the most recent episode was, as many people have said, solid. Like, I don't know what I'm comparing it to. I, I guess the movie makes a lot of sense. I still have hope that um, we'll be able to see some of the tension of the show, but there are also these moments that like annoy the shit out of me, which is this thing that they do at the end of every scene when they maybe say something snarky, but usually it's very, very light, a very light quip. And then everybody in the scene looks at each other and softly laughs because they are aware that what was written wasn't funny or not funny enough for the audience to laugh. So they feel like the characters need to give a directive of like, we think this is really funny, so you should think this is really funny. And also there is nary a button to be included in these episode scripts that feel like there's any tension or sharpness. Like this is non-sharp cheddar and the cheese of it all is like making me a little lactose intolerant. Yeah, I will say like the, there's something about the group scenes in particular where the dialogue is just so weak in those scenes, like the lunches. And if I think back to the original show, those were like the sort of the scenes that I really remember is like the running commentary and then all those characters having like their predictable kind of responses. Um because we were so acquainted with like the essence of who those people were that it just felt like you were kind of at lunch with your friends. Whereas now it kind of feels like you're at some family gathering where like your uncle has like sued the other uncle or something and there's like tension. <laughs> <laughs> but they're oh, fine. Oh no, Uncle they're fine Kim. Now, but it's the first time they've been in a room together since the lawsuit got dropped. And it's just all a bit awkward. Um, but yeah, you're right. I've literally never noticed that. And now I'm going to notice that every single time I watch any of the episodes, the laughing thing, I've not, um, every time in group in their group noshes with Anthony and his new bread lover, like with everything that they do, every scene, it ends with some sort of ha 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 as a way to shift to the next, because there's, I guess, strength in numbers and consistency. And if everybody just keeps laughing, surely, eventually, we will think that they're right. We will think that the nothing burger they've just presented is delicious. And it's like, that's not, it, it, it actually genuinely really annoys me. They end, I can't, you might not have seen it and you've seen everything I haven't seen. And I just can't stop seeing it. I just can't stop. I'm like, you got to stop laughing. You need to say something that's worthy of us hearing it. And then maybe we'll laugh, but we don't need. It's like Jimmy Fallon is writing Sex in the City. And I don't need that energy. I just don't. Do you remember in the film where Carrie's like, when will I laugh again? And they're like, when something really funny happens. And then 
Charlotte, racist Charlotte shits herself. Right. <laughs> they all laugh, which by the way, what a storyline. Anyway, but they all laugh. <laughs> they all laugh. And then like, that was like such a like powerful moment because they really didn't laugh really that much at their own jokes. Um, I mean, I say this as someone that laughs at all my own jokes, um, but I think that that was like a powerful moment in the film because we're not used to seeing them do that so much. Whereas you're right, like if they're overusing it, it it does convey a sense of desperation. I like I read this um interview with Sarah Jessica Parker for the New Yorker. It was like a profile that it was amazing. I recommend everyone to read it. It gave me faith in like the media again. Um, but she described herself as a quote unquote bitter, bitter ender which I thought was just such interesting phrasing because like that's how I sort of see myself watching it just like that like as a viewer I feel like I'm there's nothing that this show could realistically do to stop me from watching it until the end like I will be watching the show like HBO will have to pry this show from my dead gay hands like I will (laughs) I will never ever give up on it no matter what they do like they could make I don't even know what they could do to Miranda at this point, but whatever else they have in store for her, I will be seated and watching it. So, but I do feel like, yeah, I consider it like, but I thought bitter ender was such a interesting phrasing because at its worst, that's definitely one just like that feels like to me. But at its best, you're like, oh, like maybe there is something interesting to see here. I thought that the Aiden thing personally was fascinating to me because what I actually noticed was um, and I may also possibly write about this, but I think the show works best when Carrie is the main character. And mm. really, I think that's now, now I've realized, I think that's what was wrong with the first half of this season was that a lot of it was, Carrie was essentially a passive spectator on her friends' lives. Um, you know, there wasn't a huge amount happening for her. Um, it was most, you know, there was articles written about saying Charlotte's the new star and just like that. And, you know, there was a lot, there's been a lot of, as you said, focus on Miranda and her, the changes in her character. Um, so Carrie was kind of like, had almost taken a step back um, a little bit. So I think with this Aiden storyline, it's really thrusting her into, you know, the central spot again. And totally. it's made me realize that that really is when this show works best is when she's in the thick of it all. And it was so interesting to me to watch this kind of almost nostalgic storyline, as you said, going over whether Big was a mistake, which, I mean, honestly felt a little bit loaded and manipulative to me, given all the stuff that ha- has happened in the real world. With um, It sort of felt like we were being a little bit manipulated in that moment, but mm. I guess we're going to have that conversation. If we could have, there's a whole other conversation, but anyway, going over all the stuff in the past, all the stuff with Aiden, it actually made me feel like I could actually like relax a bit and then it made me more likely to like consider and watch these new characters or Anthony who we haven't known so well up until this point and who's sort of been elevated, I guess, elevated to a friend of. Um, he, so it's made me more, it made me more able to kind of connect with their stories and like, I guess maybe relax into it with her in that kind of nostalgic place where it, this sort of place that I really felt like I knew her again. It really made me feel like I could connect with them more. And it, there's a difference between, you know, having uh, someone be the focal point and star of the show and having them be the foundation. And in that sense, I really think that you are spot on with what the show was missing and how they can find 
a way back. And I that is with Carrie having an important presence because the ensemble can't only exist of equal protagonists like that's all that's happening right now is like everybody's right and on their special journey and we need to follow each story equally but the show was never equal the show was through Carrie's perspective and through her lens and in creating all of these other characters I mean Carrie shouldn't be sacrificed so we can understand that Che needs to make more cash. You know, like I actually appreciated Che on the most recent episode because it felt like her story was helpful to understanding a little bit more of Carrie and Aiden's possible sense of regret and also contributing to the arc of Carrie and Aiden. And it feels like sometimes the show confuses the way that they want us to feel as a society when it comes to like equality and individuality that doesn't work within the structure of the sex in the city universe and of narrative storytelling. Yeah. Like even just little things in this episode, like to be clear, I don't like want to see anyone being misgendered. However, it was interesting, like how they had Aiden saying, she and then Carrie sort of correcting him and I was like we haven't really had anything like that like that's kind of I would assume non-binary people would experience that all the time like people just assuming they're one gender or another and then um just like lightly correcting it and I just thought that felt so much more authentic because like like Aiden wouldn't know about Shay's pronoun you know and I thought that like that was just like a bit more relaxed like I think that they've learned to like that with Shay we don't need to be beaten over the head by the fact that they're non-binary and bisexual in every episode like it's like they can just be a character and we can just get to know them as a character and it doesn't necessarily have to all be and now that the, the you know the pilot is done I sort of feel like you know a situation where you're making money and then you're not making money anymore that's like something that a lot of people can relate to it happens to people all the time and I just like think that that's such a better place for that character rather than it all being about identity and like I think that you can actually get to know a lot more about someone's identity when it's not being the sort of focal point of every discussion um and I say that as a queer person myself like I'm not non-binary and I can't speak to that experience but I think that personally as a viewer I'm getting more out of who Shay really is in these last few episodes Ciao, AGs. I am speaking to you right now from Rome, Italy, where I am having a little bit of a European adventure. While I love the city and have had so many unique experiences to historical sites, the Vatican, we went to the Pantheon earlier today, there was a little bit of a hiccup in the apartment that we're staying in. And while I really enjoyed getting to know Fabrizio, the owner of the flat, there was a little bit of a language barrier because I unfortunately do not speak any Italian, even though I have watched The Sopranos all the way through at least three times. And this is where Rosetta Stone comes in. What would have helped me enormously in traveling abroad would have been brushing up, also known as entirely learning, the language of Italian. It could have broken down barriers and conversation with Fabrizio. And I also think speaking the language of the place that you're in is a sign of respect to the locals. It's also the ability to fully immerse yourself in the experience. And me not knowing any Italian, apologies to my grandpa Reno, who did make pizza from scratch, 
it would have been an incredible and even more incredible memorable experience. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, that's right, German, Chinese, and even more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in so many ways. There are no English translations, so you can really learn, listen, and think in that language you want to learn. It's designed for long-term retention, which is especially helpful for me because while this is my first trip to Italy, I really truly hope it won't be my last. The lifetime membership that Rosetta Stone offers has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses that Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Ciao. Hey, AGs. Are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Obvs. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic nonstick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to homethreads.com today and live your best real housewives life. Go to homethreads.com slash andyscrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's homethreads.com slash andyscrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Yeah, I agree. And I also think that adds to a sense of lightness, certainly in the most recent episode. I mean, a person could argue about whether or not stakes um, have, you know, been at the heart of the spinoff and where did all the tension go? But also, these are ostensibly people who should be living their lives. Like, we haven't really seen a lot of life living. We've just seen a lot of circumstance lending. And I think it's helpful, hopefully. I mean, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And <laughs> I think it's that... <laughs> true. It's true. Like, that's really put the thing you've really put your finger on. That is what the, a such essential issue with this show is. It's like we're seeing things happen to people, but we're not, I don't really feel like I'm going through it with them. I'm just like, oh, that's happened to that person. But actually, I think even just relating back to the Shay storyline, it's like they're really getting us into the texture of like what the reality is when your main income stream goes and you like, you know, you're hustling with whatever your Airbnb or you're working somewhere you used to work. And I think there's such an interesting, almost like, feeling like you're going through that person with that person as they've almost like gotten back to square one I feel like in a little bit of a way that's that like Shay's working where they where they used to work and it's all kind of like all up in the air and I just think that's a really interesting circumstance and I feel like I'm I'm going through it with them as opposed to like oh that's just happened what next it just sort of feels like the show can sometimes be a bit like okay that happened on to the next thing like it's like very it doesn't feel super connected emotionally yeah, and the Miranda stuff I found like relatively cloying and at least with her I guess 3-day internship before she um oh God, is so amplified ridiculous. to a supervisor oh role, like literally going from saying you're an intern, you have to leave to like but PS, you um won't have to do that tomorrow or Monday when you start a totally different job where you're going to be supervising these people I mean I guess I think it was a positive in the sense that Miranda remembered she was a lawyer and while it's fascinating to see her need to be reminded of her 30-year career and the fact that she graduated first from Harvard I mean it's like truly it feels a little bit like I'm in a Liam Neeson memory loss thriller and I have seen literally all of them so I feel a little bit like an expert in that that like oh my god maybe the amnesia isn't lifting but thank goodness there are other characters who have seen her CV or LinkedIn who can remind her of who she was because while Miranda can certainly change what she wants to do with her life, there does seem to be like a gap year that's 80% of her memory where she really does require near strangers to tell her what it was that she used to do. My mom, who I think is around the same age as um, Miranda, um, maybe maybe a little older, but I'll let her, you know, have that anonymity. But um, (laughs) she finds Miranda like really offensive like the way that they've portrayed her oh my god get your mom on the line i would love to chat it's very offensive to well she said older women but i mean they're like really a little bit a little bit older than middle age but like she thinks it's offensive to women of her demographic who and also this whole kind of like thing of like a lot of the characters and this was particularly intense in season one but with miranda specifically in this internship episode it like weird its head again where it's like they act as if these women like 
worked here for the last 10 years and like haven't lived in the world that we all lived in where we gradually acclimatized to things like not saying lowest man on the ladder or whatever stuff like that and they act like they've just been like transported in to the present day like from a like alien spaceship and that they're now like in the space of like a week having to acclimatize to all this stuff when really like women like my mom who is like a civilization around it like they've just been like gradually you know like changing with the times like everybody else but it's sort of like they put an off switch on at sex in the city too and then an off switch on and just like that and then the entire time in the middle these women learned nothing about the world or anything like that or they've learned too much so that their core is now one less of processing which I guess it is and more of like just being very soft there are no complicated brittle parts everyone is so afraid of fucking up that none of these characters suck. And I miss seeing the asshole. Like, that's life. Like, living in New York sucks. You ask anybody about living in New York, and we tell you all the the, the our list of grievances of the many reason, reasons why this city is trying to kill us literally every day. The city in its entirety is making it very hard to want to live here. And we also couldn't imagine living where, anywhere else Although I will acknowledge I would love to live in Paris. So while, you know, New York is great and stuff, I really am doing a terrific job for the tourism industry. Neither really is the show because everybody is just so fucking soft. I mean, this is like really dumb. This is the dumbest thing I'm going to say today. But when Carrie and... um. Miranda were walking off of Union. I know exactly where they were. They were on Fifth Avenue and like 12th Street outside of the church. That is a very New York kind of uh, 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 description because who the fuck would know where that is? But when they're talking and she's about to say, you know, um, what if big was a big mistake? I was like, they are literally crawling their way through this scene. None of this feels like New York. It feels like they are walking in slow-mo and thinking accordingly. And I just thought you would be hit by 30, like yelling at you at this point. Like, where's the survival mode? It can't only be, here's the thing. You can have all the money in the world and still have a bad fucking day because you live in New York. Like, we're not seeing any of that. Like, we used to get a little bit of it. We used to get these women, there being tension and challenges due to the environment. And it's like, okay, you don't want any of them to look like a dick anymore because we want everybody to to think that we're supposed to feel great, that that's going to make us feel good instead of interested. Like, at least have New York be hard. Like, New York, obviously, is a lot easier if you've got Carrie's, Carrie's current money but you're still going to have shit happen because you cannot avoid it in New York City. It will come to you if you're not interested in meeting it halfway. And we're not getting any of that. It's like, I get the glazed over, but like, does all of it have to be glazed? All of it? It's so fucking soft. Please, I need to say about the scene where she said, big mistake thing. You know, Cynthia Nixon is a great actress, but there's only so much a great actress can do. Oh my God, what was that response? When Cynthia was like having a a spiritual heart attack, I was like, why are you so upset by this? She was like, someone just died. I was like, can she not say anything? Because 
are we talking cognitively? Like, I was, it was like, I was like, is it some sort of brain issue? Like, it was extremely weird. I was like, someone needs to get her some some assistance. Like, it was it was a lot. And no, I agree with you. And there was definitely that in the old show. And it kind of goes back a little bit to what I was saying about cynicism. That type of like they were, you know, cynical even about their surroundings. And there, there, there was always like, there's 5 million men on this island and they all suck and like, all, they're all freaks and all that type of thing. Um, and yeah, what you said is so like, almost identical to something I said in that Harper's Bazaar piece that I mentioned. It's like that there was like a kind of fearlessness before and now it mm. feels like the show and the characters in the show are fearful of, of the audience. It's not like they're fearful of each other or fearful of anything within their own circumstances. It feels like, it feels like they're fearful of us. And it's almost like, I don't want to feel present in the show, if that makes sense. Like, it's a great the point. Fun, the fun about Sex in the City was like, that you kind of felt like you were like sitting at a lunch table with them, but like you weren't involved in the scene. Like you're a spectator and you're looking in on this world of like Manhattans and Cosmopolitans and like Manolo Blahniks and, you know, shit like that, which was fun and like weird sex. But now it feels like I'm like in the show. Like it feels like I'm like walking along behind Miranda telling her she's like, problematic or something which I don't even think but it's just like it feels like they are really are making us a character in the show by being so fearful it feels like the difference between presenting a vessel and a voyeur a little bit if that makes any sense and I just I mean the newest episode was good the bar is extremely low but it was good I was was I was concerned about the light in the hotel room, which I did think was honestly a punishment to John Corbett for pretending that he was cast in the first season. I was like, this is how they're seeking their revenge is this director of photography is making him look like he's a fucking ghost. But then for the rest of the episode, I was like, okay, I'm into this. and like, let's explore it. And while I really, truly don't know about this whole all of it, I guess. Um, <laughs> I I'm I I thought it was honestly a solid app, and uh, I appreciated Seema, who is getting ten percent of the camera that Che is finally getting an R. Yeah, it's like give me less Miranda then and more Seema. At least Seema is struggling with something, and I fucking believe it. Totally, I do believe it, and also. What I don't understand is why Lisa LTW is still in this show. Like, I I fully, like, think that if you're just going to give her, like, I feel like she's had the most crumbs out of everybody in this show. Like, yeah. I, I just feel like it's this incredibly dated, like, Ramona Singer. You could have it all, like, mm-hmm. tension in her life that feels so 2009. Like, it feels like she feels like, interestingly, speaking of the world's, she feels like a character from the first movie. Like, that's the world she belongs in. Like, I don't... They've not convinced me why she's in this world with them yet. And maybe there's going to be something in the next two episodes that's going to... Or three episodes, I think, that's going to um, turn that around. I'm really hoping there is, because I really hate... I, it makes me sad when there's a character there that I just feel like I'm not really connected to. Um, but I feel like she's been so across. I mean, Naya wasn't even in the most recent episode, so neither of them were. So that was a bit weird, I thought. Um, but at least they aren't forcing them to go to lunch with people that they, in reality, would not be at lunch with because they don't know. So <laughs> I guess that's a step up in some ways. But I sort of feel like the thing with the show 
is that we just can't expect it to be sex in the city, as you said. And I sort of feel like even as much as I tell myself that in my brain, yeah, in my soul, right? I still because it's like it's like I I I wrote this recently in another piece. Um, I've been writing a lot about just like that, but I wrote (laughs) that it sort of feels like the show wants the best of both worlds. That it kind of wants to be this treated as it wants all the privileges and benefits of being treated as this brand new thing. Um, and the kind of benefit of the doubt in terms of that, of a newness. But then also it wants the benefits of having people like me who will be bitter enders and tune in until the death, until Carrie Bradshaw's getting lowered into the ground, I will be tuning in. So it's sort of like it wants best of both worlds a little bit. Um, and Michael Patrick King's been very clear in every interview that it's a different show. And it is a different show, but it's sort of because so much of it relies on nostalgia and some of the characters that we know it's still it's so hard to fully separate that from the old show so no matter how hard I tell myself it's a different show it's a different show it's a different show as soon as I turn it on I'm still in the back of my mind expecting it to be sex in the city which I think is so hard and they are expecting that we expect it to be sex in the city and they are expecting that we should be grateful for new episodes and content and they're not entirely wrong like I couldn't believe when this got announced but now I'm like all right well it feels like you know the original series battled the revolutionary war and now it's peace times but we're all still like playing you know like fighting soldier I mean like I don't even (laughs) I'm just like borrowing a bunch of different shit and putting it in a pot also known as a sentence I guess I should you know write for the show one thing I'm really interested in, so this would be such a specific article that I'm sure that it doesn't even exist. An editor out there does not exist that would pay me to write this, but so we'll talk about it now. But um, <laughs> one thing I've been really interested in is this kind of like, uh, as, as fans of the podcast, I'm sure we'll be interested in um, the new Real Housewives of New York reboot. And then I'm just like that being at the same time. I just feel like there's something so interesting about this kind of like, hmm quest for a new New York and a new a new New York woman and like what this new 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 York woman sorry it's so hard to say represents um at this moment in our culture and as someone that's not from New York or even from America it's interesting to me how this kind of like New York woman there's an archetype that kind of can be kind of emblematic of the times like we've had you know Sex and City and then there was like Lena Dunham which kind of she represented this kind of like millennial bleakness, um, Mm -hmm. I I would say. And then now we have this kind of new world of Carrie Bradshaw's, which is interesting to me because it's kind of like, like that happening at the same time as the whole, whole recast of New York City just feels interesting to me, these kind of new elite New York women. And I just wonder whether it's like set up to fail in a way because like, the kind of eliteness that both of these franchises represent, we're in a moment in our culture, certainly, where it's like those women are quite likely to be viewed as like oppressors <laughs> and also like maybe not necessarily in terms of, you know, their demographic, but that their like, you know, wealth and their status. Um, and it's interesting whether I feel like whether it's sort of possible to to look for that new New York woman to be this kind of person that people seem to want her to be in that sense. Yeah. And the, you know, New York City Housewives reboot has done a pretty good job of adapting. And part of that adaptation is like creating a different universe, one that might not feel entirely alien because it is still New York. It is still elements of 
um, escapism, but there is also like a connectivity here. It feels like everybody is on the same show and different personalities, but perhaps. And just like that is what it, you know, some fans are like, why didn't they just keep like Ramona and Sonia and, and, and just like that, are you about to tell me? And just like that is the OG New York. No, absolutely not. I'm telling you that like, the OG Sex and the City characters are like the OG New York. And then the new characters in And Just Like That are like the new Housewives. So maybe like the fact that they're together, it just doesn't quite work. And I just like that. It would be like if you had half the new new wives with half the old ones. Right. People were suggesting that they wanted that. They wanted, you know, Luann, Sonia and Ramona with like four new housewives. And maybe that the awkwardness of And Just Like That in the sense that these women aren't in the same show maybe that's what would have ended up happening if they had done that. Maybe, as you said, a new universe is what needed to happen. Like, interesting concept. What if they'd done a show where it was like all the new characters and just like that, none of the old ones. Like, and they'd just done a total from scratch and it was like about people in New York. Um, And it was called something different. Like, I would be so interested to see whether like those characters, how they would have fared in a new universe. I do not want that. No, I, I don't want, want that. I don't want yeah. that. I'm just saying it like would be interesting to see like how those characters would have fared in a in a in their own universe. Because right now it does sort of feel like still that they don't really inhabit the same world as these people that they're sitting right next to at lunch. Like, which I think is part of the problem. Like, I think Seema after the most recent episode is mm-hmm. now the one that I'm like, okay, I fully believe you and Carrie's friendship now. Like, I fully and I'm invested. Like when they were stood outside the salon, I was like, okay, this feels like a really important moment in the show. But I sort of feel like with the other newbies, I've not had that moment yet. So maybe we need to have it in the coming weeks. But like it takes that kind of vulnerable moment, I think, to make you feel like, okay, this is a real friendship. Like, because at the moment I kind of don't really get like, why is Miranda living with her professor? And like surely she's she's still at the same like co- like college or whatever so that would be like a huge ethical issue and like, <laughs> like it just doesn't make sense. like speaking of ethics like as if this place would have such strict rules that you couldn't have you couldn't do overtime as an intern but then they would have no like transparent hiring process and this woman would just be able to like appoint her successor like who is an intern who is an, an intern? intern like i feel like that there's no organization that would have those strict in- like policies but then just let someone be like you you're my successor also, you don't know these people, but you're willing to bite into a half-eaten garlic oh. chocolate chip cookie. That, my gag reflex, because I'm like very, I can't, well, the idea of germs and anything else. Someone, a stranger, we're not even talking like COVID law, a str- or COVID lifestyle rather. A stranger is like, hey, I just bit into half of this cookie, but we're going to make a fun little joke about diet culture and how we're not supposed to eat the whole thing. And would you like the other half, I mean, of my garlic chocolate chip cookie that's, like, covered in my mouth? Speaking of diet culture, though, what? We were, like, ignoring this and pretending it doesn't exist. No, I don't want to get into it. What on earth was with that Charlotte storyline? Like, that was, like, straight out of 2008. That was straight out of the first movie. Like, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I could. I mean, I think that there is like this idea when it comes to and we've seen elements of that on the New York reboot too. this idea that like body positivity and wellness culture has created an environment where it's impossible to talk about, you know, any insecurity you have about your body or weight without being judged for that. 
and without it feeling offensive to other people who may or may not feel the same. So Charlotte, again, being, I don't know, focused on her dress and maybe not the job is honestly not entirely unrealistic when it comes to like how your anxieties essentially come out like what's the thing that we're going to substitute for this other thing like in that sense what is the vessel going to be but the thing that like did make me a little uncomfortable was like okay she walks in and sees two women who are physically close to what she was talking about in earlier scenes about a gallerina and then the queen bonnie milligan recent tony winner comes down and is a sassafras and like so fun and delightful but also a a woman whose body charlotte seemed shocked to see in that environment as a result of seeing the character charlotte's like yay i can take off my spanx and it's like there's like a weird underbelly here there's a weird undercurrent here of the connection between seeing a character exist and feeling like free to be you and me. I I didn't, I didn't totally get it, but I was like, okay, this is a thing that's happening now. It was extremely, I I feel like, like Carrie and Aiden who are just ignoring the fact that they, that the second sexist that you movie happened and they kissed in Abu Dhabi. Like how hilarious was it how they just completely like that did not happen. Like, Literally never, never happened. Yeah, I remember Tuck. I remember her seeing him at the shook. Yeah, hundred percent. hundred percent. They're glazing over it completely. So I feel like that's how I'm gonna treat Charlotte's storyline in the last episode. I feel like it was just it's a shame because I feel like she'd been on quite a good run of like good storylines. Like people yeah. know this season like they've I mean, honestly, like, from a writer's standpoint, I think she's quite an easy character to write storylines for. Um, she's kind of got that motif of, like, being really conservative at heart and then compensating by being really progressive about things, which I think is quite funny and probably quite realistic for, like, some women uh, uh, from her background. But I think that, yeah, she's quite a good character to write, I would say. Um, but I just think that, yeah, they really, they really, I don't know what they were thinking with that. With that storyline, it was it was completely strange, but um, hopefully they've moved on from from. I was obsessed with the shoulder pads that that um the you know the one that she was supposed to be really intimidated by. I can't remember their name, but she had these those huge kind of Lady Gaga bad romance era yeah. shoulder pads on, which were pretty fabulous. Um, but so you, I'm interested in you saying that you think Karen and Aiden are going to break up because my theory is that they're going to get engaged. <gasps> I think they're going to get engaged in the season finale and I think that she's going to phone Mar- phone Samantha and tell her or phone Samantha and invite her to the wedding or something. I think that's what the phone that's what the phone call is going to be about. I my body just went into shock. I never I never thought cuz he he can't get into her apartment because he can't let go that she cheated on him, which like genuinely isn't a judgment, although I am confused by the fact that he I mean, I get men, am I right? Like, I'm confused by that he's like still having sex with her, but like can't go into her apart. He trusts her enough to be, for lack of a better term, inside her, but not enough to be inside of her 
home. So it's like, okay, cool. I never thought <laughs> this was going to lead to an engagement. I assume she's going to meet the kids. Maybe she doesn't get along with the chicken. And like, we end there. I quite literally never assumed that there was an engagement in their future. I think they're getting engaged, but I think it's likely the marriage will not happen. Um, but I do think they're going to Again? Is she going to finally wear her engagement ring on her ring and not, quote unquote, close to my heart? They're going to get engaged again and they're going to be like, let's just do it quickly or like, just do it just us or whatever. Um, I don't think that it'll work out, but I think that they will get engaged again. And I think that she's going to phone Samantha and tell her. And that's what, because if you've got to think about it, it's got to be something pretty big. And it's got to be something that could have fit in with the original script that they had. Because they will have had that script for ages about her get if she does get engaged, they would have had that in the script for ages. So if the Kim Cattrall cameo happened relatively kind of towards the end or short notice, it would be something that they could think, oh, right, how would that work? So I sort of just think that's my prediction. Well, shout out to Carrie Bradshaw, the original Tom Schwartz style ring on the string, because <laughs> we'll see how all this plays out. Listen, I have taken up more than enough of your time, Louis Staples. Tell You really have. I really have. <laughs> it, we're, we're going on hour 18 today. Um, tell the AGs where they can follow you on social. I'm going to include one of your most recent uh, and just like that pieces in the show notes for this episode. And where can people follow you to read more? And just like that, I reached my fourth hour of recording. <laughs> <laughs> quite literally, quite literally, um, you guys, we've had a day. Follow me at Louis Staples on Instagram and on Twitter, now known as X. X is the unjust like that of Twitter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so follow me at Louis Staples, spelled L-O-U-I-S for those who are confused by the pronunciation. Follow me there for all my articles and everything. Incredible. And guys, you can follow me on social, on Instagram and threads at Dame Galley. Join the Andy's Girls Patreon, number one way to support the pod. You get exclusive bonus episodes and so much more at patreon.com slash Andy's Girls. Louis Staples, thank you for our journey today. What a gift. Oh my God, what a delight. We repurposed our pain. And just like that. We really did. And just like that. Um, <laughs> shout out to Carrie's everywhere. And we will chat with you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.